0: 75 is that invitation song, page 275. Hey, Choi, will you click on the PowerPoint? It's good morning. Very good to see everyone here this morning. It's good to be here. It's good to have an opportunity to worship with you all. I hope that some of the things we study and we share this morning will be a benefit to, to all of us here. Appreciate those that are visiting with us. It's good to see you. We hope that you'll stick around and let us meet you here at their service. This morning's sermon is focused on our family. I want to speak specifically about our immediate family at home. And these thoughts are, this morning, they they're centered around what should be our number one priority. That's my goal this morning. I want to express, I want to talk about our number one priority at home. Our opening scripture comes from Psalm 144 and 12, and it reads that our sons may be as plants grow, grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars. A few months ago, I was speaking over the prophecy in Micah 5 and 2, which addresses the birthplace of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. And as I was preparing those comments, it really got me thinking about family and about where we're born. There's a lot of things that we influence throughout our lives. We make decisions constantly. Some important decisions, some that are not so important. Some very large decisions that have lasting effects on ourselves and our family, and some that are minor decisions, that are short in duration. And throughout our lives, we constantly make decisions. We have to evaluate things. We have to consider uh, who our decisions impact financially, emotionally, spiritual impacts of our decisions. We have ultimate control over the decisions that we make. I can control how fast I drive. I can control the food I put in my mouth. I can control how I treat people. I can control the things I say. I can control the temperature in my house, the things that I buy. I can control the people that I choose to have a deep and meaningful relationship with. And the list goes on and it goes on. But one thing that I can't control, absolutely no control at all, are the parents who gave birth to me. I didn't get to choose my parents. Some of you adopted you didn't get to choose your adoptive parents. As an infant, I did not have any say into who gave birth to me. I did not get to have any input where I was born. I didn't get to decide where I was born, on which side of the tracks that I was born, or the overall economic status of the parents who birthed me. But shortly after my birth, Pretty quickly after my birth, I began making decisions. You would know if I was hungry, when I wanted to sleep, or possibly how loud that I wanted to cry. And the ability to make decisions virtually never stopped from that point on. Of course, I was influenced. My parents and my brother and my sister, both in, they all influenced me. My church family, those that I ran around with, they influenced me. I had teachers and coaches that influenced me. But at no point during our lives are we able to choose the family that we were born into. We don't get to choose where we're born in the middle of the city, way out in the country. Within a big school district or a small school district. I guess I just find that very interesting. And throughout our life, I know that you've thought about some of this before. Sometimes those thoughts, they've came with disappointment. Or questions on why was I born into this family? Why was I born and my my parents might have passed when I was at a young age? Why was I born into a difficult situation? Some of us have been very fortunate and we were born into a very stable and Christian home. But whatever the case, you're all here today. Whatever our past or our current struggles, no matter where we were born, what part of the country we were raised, some in different states, but for some reason or another, some decision that you ultimately made in your life, you're here today. I look across the audience, I see folks from all across the country. As I think back over the first few years that Katrina and I were married, we moved a lot. From the time that we married, uh, we were living in Lubbock. And from Lubbock, we went to Denton, Arlington, Kennedale, Rockwall, Garland, Mesquite, Sunnyvale. It's a lot of moves. So in the first nine years of marriage, we moved eight times. And now we haven't moved in the past 11 years, and I have no desire to ever, ever move again. Today, we're settled and we're focused on our family. We had early discussions when we first moved to Sunnyvale. We had discussions about about growing our family, adopting. We said, right now, we're going to focus on the children that we have. We want to focus on our family. This morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about family. There comes that point in your life where you focus on your family. You're always interacting. Maybe not. We interact with our family, some more than others. You live close to family. You visit family. Maybe you move away from your original homestead. And you develop a new family. You gain influencers in your life. You're blessed with new family members. You're blessed with possibly a new church family. And all these things are important and they're a wonderful blessing in our life. But we have responsibilities within our Christian home. About a year ago, the elders and deacons, they led a series on family. I don't plan on rehashing some of those topics. I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of bleed over. A few verses that were covered then. A few verses that we regularly see when we talk about family. As Katrina and I, we pursue the raising of Audrey and Lily. There's a lot of things that we discuss. How are we going to handle this? What's our approach to that? What values do we ultimately want to teach our children? And as I look... Out into the audience, there's a lot of you that are currently doing that exact same thing. And there's some of you that are planning to start a family. The things we talk about today are very important to families, to those that are looking to start a family. So this morning I want to discuss the power of influence within our homes. You may not have been able to influence the family you were born into. But you can definitely influence the family that you now have. This morning we'll look at three topics involving the power of influence within our home. Spiritual influence, the power of negativity, and making a lasting impression. The most important priority that we have within our family is in spiritual guidance. This isn't just a blessing that we have. It's not an important activity that we have. It's a priority. This needs to be a priority in our homes. Ephesians 6 One through three, it reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Do your children know this verse? Especially verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do your children know this? Mine do. I listened to Katrina marching up and down the hall saying, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 6, remember Ephesians 6. They know it. We've taught it to them. It's easy for us to have expectations for our children. We expect them to do things a certain way, to talk a certain way, to be an example, and so on. Are you teaching them the things that you, are you teaching them these things, or do you just expect them? The reason Katrina can march up and down the hall yelling out Ephesians six one is because we've taught them Ephesians six. If we expect a certain outcome for our children, we need to take the time to teach it to them, and then they need to see it being lived out in our lives. As we look at Ephesians 6, there's more to it than just that first verse. We look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. What does that mean, to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord? This is spiritual leadership. That's spiritual training. That's spiritual influence. As parents, your priority should be leading your children to Jesus Christ. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. As parents, your number one priority is teaching your children about Jesus Christ. Teach them to center their lives around Jesus. Specifically, in this verse, it puts this commandment onto fathers. But uh, but we are to be that influence. Brothers and sisters, that should be a priority in your home. The good news is that it's easy. These are our children. We spend hours upon hours with them every day. Our access to them is easy, and we need to take advantage of the power of influence. We read throughout the Bible of various travels by the apostles. They traveled across the countryside not knowing where they were going to sleep each night. They entered cities that they weren't familiar with. They never knew what they were going to encounter. Those were difficult situations. That was hard. You compare that to the ease of access that we have with our children, and we don't have an excuse. We look at the travels of the Apostle Paul he went through in Acts 21. He was on a multi-day trip, traveling by boat through several cities. And to top off the difficult travels, he had a friend, the prophet Agabus. He's visiting with Paul, and he warns him. He says, you don't need to travel to Jerusalem. Paul said, I'm going. Whatever is there, I'm going to face it on. So he goes to Jerusalem, he's captured, and he's detained. And, you get, um, and then he gets into Jerusalem, and he's, he's approached by this angry mob. And in verse 31 says that they were seeking to kill him. That's hard. That requires dedication. If the Apostle Paul can travel the countryside and endure all that he endured... Surely we can spend the time to influence our children and teach them about Jesus. Let's ask a few questions this morning. How important is your children's salvation to you? How important is it for you that your children have God in their lives? To know Jesus, to know that Jesus died for them, and to know that they have a pathway to heaven. It's important, right? Now here's the real question. Do your children know that it's important to you? Have you talked to them about it? Because if you haven't told them how important it is to you or you don't continually show them and tell them how important it is to you, they very well might not know that it's important to you. Now, I'm not talking about pressuring them, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm asking, do they know that it's important to you? My girls know that putting their dishes in the sink is a big deal to Katrina. Katrina. Whose plate's on the kitchen table? Audrey, put it in the sink. Lily, when you finish with that, put it in the sink. Who put their plate next to the sink? That's normally me. Who put their plate next to the sink? Put it in the sink. Put it in the sink. Put it in the sink. We know that. We hear that at home. Ask my kids when I walk around barking all the time. Pick up your room. How do you live like this? Pick up your room. Pick up the playroom. Whose shoes are those? Whose bag is that? Whose trash is on the floor? Why is there makeup in the playroom? Katrina wants the dishes in the sink. I want the rooms clean. We all do that. We all have those things that we're constantly telling our kids. We, I don't know what yours are, but I know you have them. Put your clothes in the hamper. Be a good influence. Put your shoes by the door. Don't track mud in the house. Do your children know that being a Christian, obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ is important to you? That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking you to think about this morning. Surely it's more important than picking up the playroom or putting dishes in the sink. It's important that we plant that seed. Katrina and Lily, they're about to start volleyball season. And I say both of them because Katrina coaches, Lily plays. So they're both both—they're uh, both about to start volleyball season. And last week, we were talking with some friends about... One of the difficulties in playing select sports is that you're required to sign a contract. You sign a contract, you got to read the whole contract. So you read the whole contract, and at the bottom, you get down and there's clauses to that contract. But one of the reasons we have not signed up Lily for select volleyball is that these clubs, a lot of them, they have a clause at the bottom that says that missing church services and church activities is is not a reason, I'm sorry, it says church activities and church services is not an excuse to miss any volleyball practice or games. And so you're allowed so many of these unexcused absences, and that doesn't count. Fortunately, we haven't ran into that with soccer, so we continue to play soccer. But with volleyball, we we haven't seen a contract yet that doesn't have that clause. So that makes our decision easy. We won't play select volleyball. We were talking with a parent this past week, and we were talking about this very thing recently. Um, And he noted that their daughter played for a team that did not allow them to miss team activities for church-related events. And, And before they signed their new contract, their daughter came to them and said, Hey, Dad, I really miss church. I, you know, we haven't been, we've been playing volleyball, we've been going to practices, and I really miss church, and I really miss my friends at church, and I don't know if I want to play volleyball this season. That's a wonderful thing. This young lady saw the need to be in church, to interact with her church friends, and that, it was great that she realized that. Now, this was his fault. He said, yeah, I didn't make the decision for her. I told her that it was up to her and that I would support whatever decisions she made. My jaw almost dropped to the ground. That was his opportunity. He had it right there to be an influence. Parents, it's time for you to influence your children. It's time for you to plant that seed over and over again. This is what James says. Kind of along these same lines. In James 1 and 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Other translations use a shorter word. They say plant. We plant those seeds. Why do we do it? Because it has the ability to save souls. And we do that through influence. We do that by providing the support structure to assist and influence. And we hope that our children make the right decisions. And when they don't, we step in and we guide and we correct. It's important we influence them in these ways because we have such a strong ability to influence them. And it's just for a short few years. And it's critical that we take advantage of that. We may not think that they hear it right away, but it's planting those seeds. Proverbs 22 and 6, we're all familiar with this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Just look at some of our children. They run around here in Red Raider and Aggie shirts all the time. We're doing this. We're doing this scripture. We're training them. When they're two years old, they're not picking up that red and black Red Raider shirt and putting it on. But we put it on for ten years, and then they're ten years old, and what are they picking out of the closet? Red Raider shirt. I joke a little bit there, but I think you get the point. The power of influence. I was talking with a sister recently about our children listening to our guidance and the hope that they will eventually hear us. They'll start to mimic that advice. And I remember in 1999, a long time ago, 1999, I had just started my, my third year of college, and I was working on my weekly budget of expenses to send to my dad so I could get some money. Sounds like a typical college kid looking for money, doesn't it? And something just hit me that day, and I was, I was re- sending out that email, and I had all my expenses lined out, and then at the bottom, I just started typing. I wrote a long email explaining that although I didn't always listen to what they were saying and the teachings and that constant influence, but I'd always heard it. And although I had to make my share of mistakes instead of just taking their guidance, I heard them over the years and I was very appreciative to have had that constant guidance. It might not have always been what I wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear and that it did sink in. Remember that your children, they're listening. Be that influence. Lead by example and continually remind them of the importance of Jesus Christ. As we revisit Proverbs 22 and 6. I know that you all want your children to obey the gospel. To be baptized for the mission of of your sins. I know that you want your children to meet their heavenly father one day. If you are not discussing these things at home then it's time to start spiritual influence we need to make that a priority in our homes so we've talking about we've spoke about influence this morning a desire for, for our children to listen so that we can guide them and that these things can sink in we plant that seed over and over again can that strategy backfire on us you being an influence to your children can that can that backfire you influence them in ways that might not be the best? I think it can. I think it does sometimes. That takes us to our second point this morning. We need to use our influence in a positive way, not a negative way. We've all heard the phrase, like father, like son, or the apple doesn't, far, doesn't fall far from the tree. Or as Katrina says, the pecan does not fall far from the tree. It's important that we realize our influence, it can be negative. There's always those little eyes, or, or as those children, our children get older, those teenage eyes. They're watching, they're observing our decisions and our comments. Let's look at the parable in Luke 18, discussing the Pharisee and the publican. We'll start in Luke 18 and 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give the eyes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled... And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at the differences that, on how these two people prayed. These verses explain how the Pharisee praying to God is telling him how good he was. How in verse 11 he was thankful that he was not like these other men that were around him. He called out extortioners and unjust and adulterers compares some of these sins to the tax collector. You know, instead of being thankful of how great of a person that he might have thought that he was... He should have prayed for the tax collector, for those sins that might have been in his life, for those sins that maybe they could be removed. The Pharisee continues talking about how good of a person he is and and the things that he thinks that he does so righteously. He prays in verse 12 that he says in verse 12, he says, "I, I fast twice a week, I give thighs of all that I have. He's patting himself on the back, right? Now the tax collector, knowing that he was a sinner, he would not lift up as much of his eyes to heaven. He had guilt. He felt that he was a sinner. He knew that he was a sinner. And that shame prevented him from, from even looking up. The tax collector prayed for forgiveness, asking God to be merciful, admitting that he was a sinner. The prayer of the publican was totally different from that of the Pharisee. He made no boast of his righteousness towards God or any other man. That's not what he did. He felt like he was a sinner and he was willing to acknowledge it. So my point in studying these scriptures is to show that there's often two different ways we can do something. Two completely different outcomes. Both of these men prayed two completely different ways, two completely different outcomes. That happens With our actions at times. When you talk about the worship service at home or you talk about church activities at home with your family, do you complain? Do your children observe any negativity regarding the the activities that go on at church? Do you talk about them when you leave here? Have you said things such as, I don't know why we do things like that? I didn't like the sermon today. I couldn't follow him. What was he talking about anyway? I didn't care for the song service. He leads the same songs over and over again. He leads songs that are too slow. There are some things that I would do differently. Saying those things to your family on the way home from church is not being a positive influence. I've said every one of these before. I've said every one of them. Probably a few more. Having this type of attitude, it's divisive and it's hurtful. You're trying to influence your family. We've talked about that. So how are you going to influence them? Positive or negative? Are you going to do it this way? Because ultimately, when we say things like this, we're making the worship service personal. It's now about me. It's a selfish attitude. We're putting those thoughts and feelings of ourselves before others. Look at all the eyes. I don't know why we do. I didn't like the service. I didn't like the song service. When did the worship service become about me? When did church activities and events, when did they become about you? Why am I Or you, why are we more important than this worship service? The worship service is intended to glorify God. It's intended to uplift our brothers and sisters. It is intended to grow us closer together with like-minded Christians so that we can celebrate Jesus Christ and all he's done for us in our life. It's our opportunity to heaven is through Jesus, and that's what we're worshiping. That's what we need to teach in our homes. We need to bundle up that whole family clan, and we need to get the church because we're going to worship God. That's how we influence our family. Because when we complain about the church, when we have better ideas that no one will listen to, when we don't need certain, uh, when we don't attend certain services because of the speaker or the song leader. When we don't stay for an afternoon service on Fourth Sunday because I have somewhere else I'd rather go. When I don't have time to go share a meal with my brothers and sisters. You're teaching your family it's not important. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to talk to you about this after church. Tell me a reason why we can't do some of these things. You're teaching your young children that there is something more important. You're teaching them that you did a little, and I'm not going to do a lot. Because a little, is that enough? And during that time of influence, you're planting seeds. One after another. One Sunday after the next. One complaint after the other. Little seeds are being planted. They're not the positive planting seeds that you want to harvest. So what should we be doing? What should we do? We find that in Philippians chapter 2. If you have found yourself being a negative influence at home, if you want to switch that and you want to be a positive influence, and more importantly, if you want to be that Christian influence to your children, then we're going to follow these scriptures. Here in Philippians 2, Look out not only for his own interest, but out for the interest of others. We'll finish out this morning by reviewing these scriptures and covering our final point, making that lasting impression. As we look through the verses, there's important aspects embedded that will allow us to be that positive influence to our family. Here in the second chapter of Philippians, Paul is dealing with some issues that's going on with the church. There was a unity problem, there were disagreements, there was negativity, and he saw it fit to be addressed. In the opening of this chapter, Paul describes what it means to be united with Christ, and that's what we can learn. We need to be united at home. Here in chapter 2, Paul, he's talking about walking in unity. And it's that unity that we need in our homes as we portray the church. That's a powerful level of influence that we can have on our family. We take all the teachings from the Bible. We take these teachings from the Bible. We develop them into, we've created this worship service to follow the, Bible, the biblical teachings. That's what we're doing, right? That's our goal. I think we can all agree. That's what we want to do. That's how we want to worship God. We want to worship God in spirit and truth. So we take these teachings and commandments throughout the Bible and we utilize them in the worship service. Then we take those same teachings and we embed them, embed them into our lives. The values that we have within our homes, that's how we influence our home. I believe in repetition. I believe in muscle memory. We do things over and over and over again. And that's where unity plays an important part of our power of influence. Unity within the church, unity with our brothers and sisters, unity within our teachings at home. And when we have all these things aligned, we influence and we create a lasting impression. Paul says at the beginning of the chapter, if you've been encouraged through Christ, if you've been comforted by his love, then be of the same mind. Paul uses the word if, but it's not in the same manner uh, as if we would use the word if. He's not saying, if you can do this, if you can swing by, stop me, pick me up a burger on the way. He's not saying it like that. He's making a statement. Or we might say he's making an announcement. He's saying, since you have been comforted in his love, since you have been encouraged through Christ, and because of these things, you should be united in Christ. You should be united because of Jesus Christ. Jesus desired for unity. Jesus wanted unity among us. And and this is the same unity that we need to carry forward to our homes. In John 17, uh, we read of Jesus praying for unity. Verse 9 starts like this. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. We'll start over with this reading. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, and they may be one as we are. Jesus starts off, he's talking about yours and mine, and he ends with saying, one as we are. Skip down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, and they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may they may also be one in us, and the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which, which you give me I have given them, and they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, and they may be made perfect and one, and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. One verse after another talking about unity. Over and over, Jesus is praying that we may may be one. I in them, you in me, so that we can be made perfect in one. This was important to Jesus. This This was his prayer. And here in Philippians 2, we get a good picture of why we struggle with it so much. Paul begins to tell us in verse 3 on why we struggle with it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You want to know how to walk in unity? You want to know how to create a full circle of influence in your homes? Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, don't walk in selfish, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is elevating oneself or putting one's interest ahead of others. This is hard. The world tells us that we're number one. You're number one. The world tells us, take care of yourself. The world tells us that you only live once. Take care of yourself. Do what you want to do. Do what feels good. And then the Apostle Paul tells us that if you desire to be unified through Christ, and if you desire to take that unity and develop it throughout our homes so that we can have that strong influence within our family, that intertwines the biblical teachings, and we take that and we intertwine it into the teachings at our house, then we will avoid selfish ambition. I cannot think of a better way to make a lasting impression with our homes than having a unified approach with Christ's teachings in our church family. Because coming to church and learning Christian values, and then we turn around and we go home, and if we contradict them, it's inconsistent, it's confusing, it's chaotic. That's not how I want to influence my children. As parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, siblings, we have the power of influence. That's a big responsibility. This morning we've discussed three topics. We've talked about spiritual influence, the power of negativity, and making a lasting impression. Two, maybe three, but two or three of these things are going on in your house. You may be very successful at spiritual influence and creating that positive, lasting impression. That might might be happening. You may be highly negative, which is also impacting that lasting impression. That might be right. Or maybe all three apply. It's possible that you're being great at spiritual influence for your family, but you're also negative. You complain. It's possible that you've allowed your opinions to create a divide or a lack of unity within your homes between what's being taught and practiced at church and what's being taught and practiced at home. And with this inconsistency, you're creating a lasting impression, although it's not the one that you desire. I encourage you this morning to be consistent. I want to... I want to make an influence, I want to be as influential as I can at my house. And that occurs through consistency, that occurs through repetition. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, for whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 14 and 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what I'm teaching my children. I, want, I have a desire for them to be saved. I have a desire to leave a lasting impression on them. And it's my responsibility to provide this spiritual influence. I appreciate your attention this morning. I hope some of the comments have been useful. I hope that things we've studied have been of interest and will help in your daily walk. And I hope that, that you're being that spiritual influence to your family. If you haven't been baptized this morning, we definitely want to offer the services of the church. We want to offer that opportunity to you. The water is ready, and we encourage you to take that step this morning and become a child of God. If, there's, if you're struggling with some things and you'd like the prayers of the church, uh, we're more than welcome to pray with you. We ask of either case, come as we stand and sing this invitation song. I